4: good wednesday morning birds fans midweek birds 365 coming your way actually it's a little different than a midweek because he was playing on a monday night so it's a shortened week we'll start to look ahead toward the buffalo bills and how they get up and ready for a good afc team did pretty well against a good afc team this uh past monday night uh john McMullen, as you can see not in the house travel troubles and i i i I actually was really close to saying something on the air yesterday, and I didn't because I didn't want to jinx it because I knew what the weather was supposed to be like here in Philadelphia. It is Thanksgiving week. I was like, John, good luck getting home. I was going to say I didn't. Yeah, I I knew what I was saying. I I couldn't have jinxed. It was bad. He got caught up. Uh, canceled flights and the like, so I'm lucky enough to have Bill Calarulo be able to jump in with me and talk Eagles football for the next two hours. Bill, I give you credit. You had the Eagles winning uh, when uh, you were here on Birds 365 last week. I think you, like me, had a little higher scoring than it turned out to be. John was actually pretty damn close to the score. What about the game most surprised you? Since you had the Eagles winning, it can't be the final score, but the way the game played itself out, what surprised you most?
5: What surprised me the most was in that first half, how well the Kansas City Chiefs were able to run the football against this Eagles defense. Nobody's been able to run the ball on that Eagles defensive front, and they were picking up over six yards a clip in that first half. So that really surprised me, but they tightened it up a little bit, still gave up, I think, over four yards a carry in the second half. But really, you talk about the old cliche of a tale of two halves on both fronts, on the offensive and defensive lines giving up five sacks in the first half, letting them run all over you in the first half. They really cleaned it up in the second half, but that surprised me the most was what the Chiefs running game could do. And kudos to Isaiah Pacheco.
4: Now, he's uh, he's a Chief, so I'm not going to root for him because I don't root for the Chiefs, but I kind of root for Rutgers guys. I like Jersey's guys who uh, play well, and he is one tough SOB. There has not been a runner against Eagles all year, that is made the kind of yards after contact that he does. He just runs through tackles and drops shoulders and pushes the pile. And uh, I don't know that they're going to face another guy. They've got a true test coming up in a couple of weeks against arguably the most talented back in, in, in the game and Christian McCaffrey, but he's a different type of back. He does it more so with speed than he does with power. Um, The fact that the Eagles were, pushed around a little bit in that running game throughout the game. You're right, more so in the first half than the second, but scare you going forward for the Eagles defense here going into the postseason?
5: It doesn't. I think they'll be able to get it right. Like I said, no one's been able to run the ball against them. We really only saw it in that Chiefs game. So I think hopefully it was an outlier. I'm not concerned. They're just so talented up front as you know with that defensive front especially in the tackle position. So I think they're going to be okay and you mentioned Pacheco being a Rutgers guy. He's also a Vineland, New Jersey guy. So yeah, Jersey super, guy, yeah. Yeah, super local down in Vineland. But he did it to us in the Super Bowl, too. You remember what he did in the Super Bowl. So, for whatever reason, they struggle with Pacheco. But, hey, look, there's a good test this week, too. Buffalo's running back, Cook, he runs pretty hard. Yeah, it's true. Not like Pacheco.
4: I don't know that there's another more violent running back in the NFL than Pacheco is. But uh, Cook, Cook has played well of late. So, yeah, they're going to be tested. But before we get to um, the bills and we've got a couple of days to do that today and Friday, by the way, in advance. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, Birds 365 will not be here tomorrow, but we will be back for a Friday show before uh, Thanksgiving. But before we get to the bills, uh, just the win over the Chiefs, I want to let you get involved in a little debate. John and I had going yesterday It was me and me versus John and Darius Slate, as a matter of fact. Because John mentioned after the game in the locker room, got a chance to talk to some of the players. And Slay specifically said, well, you guys are making a lot of this game. It's not even a rivalry game. I would argue that the Kansas City Chiefs are a filled-up Eagle rival. If you take it at where it falls in time, not historically, not going back to the 1960s, but in November of 2023, Kansas City Chiefs are pretty damn big rival. And when you think of some of the teams that have been historical rivals against the Eagles, the Giants and the Commanders, right now both of those teams aren't good. They're both going to finish below five hundred. The Eagles are going to have one of, if not the best record in the National Football League. They've already beaten the Commanders twice. Were both games close? Yes. Did they win both games? Yes. Do you consider the Kansas City Chiefs a Philadelphia Eagle rival right now?
5: I think they have to be. Not only what happened in the Super Bowl last year, but they're basically the Philadelphia Eagles from 10 years ago. They got Andy Reid. There's so much, so many comparisons and parallels between the Chiefs and the Eagles. I don't see how you could say they're not a rival right now. You're right. Not an historic rival, not an NFC East rival. But, yeah, they are a rival right now. And, hey, what Slay needs to worry about is figuring out how to tackle. Did you see that missed tackle he had on the outside with that wide receiver? But, you know, I I think it's got to be Can can I come quickly to Slay's defense?
4: Uh, Yeah, he missed that tackle. and That was was not good. You're right. He made one of the biggest plays in the game. The, The Watson play, the last play from scrimmage for Kansas City on fourth and 21 22 whatever it was after the intentional grounding which pissed the snot out of uh josh sweat he's i saw him in the postgame stuff give me the sack just give me the sack the yardage is the same just give me the sack what are you stealing a sack for me mahomes um but it was it was fourth and 22 and he got to the sticks nothing uh, john would know this uh you and i haven't done enough shows together M- there might not be anything in the national football like the, the big bugaboo for John is uh, bubble screens. He hates bubble screens. Manny went off on bubble screens yesterday, how ugly a play it is, and it never works. And I, I understand Sirianni likes to bubble screen. And if it's pulled off correctly, if it's executed properly, it can be an outstanding play. And the Eagles still go to it, maybe a little too often, but they still go to it. Uh, that doesn't bother me nearly as much as on a fourth down play when your receiver. Does not get past the sticks, does not run his route past the sticks. And you throw the football and you complete the pass, but you don't get the first down. Nothing bothers me more than that. That's a standard operating procedure. You got to do this. There's no ifs and or buts. Don't give me the yeah, you can break a tackle thing. No, BS. Get past the sticks. And Watson did. He was a good yard to a yard and a half past the sticks. Slay came in maybe even a little early and knocked that ball away. There were a whole bunch of drop passes by the Kansas City Chiefs in that game. I don't consider that a drop pass. That was a defended pass, and Slay timed it perfectly to get in, break up the play, not have the flag dropped. Might have actually been there early, but uh, the flag didn't come out, so it doesn't matter, right, Bill? Um, If if you're going to point to the plays that uh, Slay missed, make sure you give credit for the play that he made because that could have been a backbreaker. If they convert on fourth and 22, yeah, we might be having a whole different conversation here today.
5: You definitely got to give big, big play Slay credit for that one, but look, they're not paying him to tackle. I mean, that's what they don't, they don't, the defensive backs, they're not going to be as good of tacklers in the running game, or at least not all of them are, but yeah, that was a big play. I think he did get there a little bit early, but I'm glad they let him play and didn't call that, but. That was close, man. You're right. If they would have converted was really on that one, close. if they would have converted, we would be having a different conversation. We'd be having a different conversation if those receivers were better. It's crazy, Jody. I had I had Farzi on my show yesterday, and we were just talking about how Andy Reid's career has really come full cycle here. In the early days in Philadelphia, they had really good defense, great defensive coordinator, good quarterback, but no wide receivers. And it's almost exactly what they have in Kansas City now. Great defense, good coordinator, unbelievable quarterback. And they just don't have the wide receivers. It's amazing he lets that position go sometimes.
4: He does. And you're right. This has been Andy's Andy's modus operandi. Until he broke down and uh, acquired Terrell Owens, they never had a star wide receiver during Donovan McNabb's entire tenure as the quarterback here. And they base well, with – Tyreek Hill was a little different because he didn't blow up the team. He just wanted to get paid big dollar top of the market money and the chiefs weren't willing to go there, but that tells you something about Andy Reid and the way that he values or undervalues wide receivers. He believes that his superstar quarterback is going to take average wide receivers and make them well above average. After watching that game with all of those drops in that game, Andy, you're falling prey to the same exact thing you did here in Philadelphia. Go out and get yourself a superstar wide receiver. Oh, they'd be unstoppable.
5: Look, it worked for them last year. They didn't have really a superstar. They had Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't consider him a superstar. But it did work for them last season. But, yeah, you give a stud to Patrick Mahomes, I don't see how anybody would be able to stop nor do I, uh, but
4: thankfully that was not the case against the Eagles this year. And I, I I, overestimated the Chiefs wide receivers because Mahomes was putting up yards. He had more passing yards coming into the game than, and he has more passing yards coming out of the game because he had more passing yards in the game than Jalen Hurts did. I thought that he might just go dink and dunk underneath and Eagles could die by a thousand paper cuts in the game. He did not. They did not. I know they, I knew they weren't going to make big plays, although Marcus Valdez Gandling did get behind Roby on that uh, play in the fourth quarter. Uh they they came up the Eagles came up big. So I've I've heard this and uh we mentioned it at least once yesterday on uh Birds 365. A 60-minute game. The Philadelphia Eagles are nine and one. They have the best record in football. They're the number one team in football by almost any metric. That stupid ESPN power index thing still has them seventh, seventh, seventh in the league. That's an embarrassment to ESPN that they put that up every single week. But in in most other righteous thinking outlets, the Eagles are the number one ranked team in the NFL, as they should be. But they haven't played a 60 minute game yet. And even Jason Kelsey talked about it afterwards. He said, we haven't had that complete game yet. And you don't have to stretch your memory all that far to go back to remember when the Eagles played a 60-minute game. They played two of them in back-to-back weeks in the postseason last year. They played a full 60-minute game against the San Francisco 49ers. All right, yeah, it helped that Brock Purdy got hurt and Josh Johnson was in the game. Shouldn't be. Josh Johnson should not be playing in a playoff game. But they beat the snot out of the New York Giants as well, who just two weeks previous had played the Eagles when the Eagles were playing their starters. All right, Jalen Hurts was coming back from a shoulder injury. He wasn't quite 100%. But the Giants sat a bunch of their regular guys because they couldn't move up in the standings. They were locked into their wild-card spot, and they scored a late touchdown to get within a onside kick of well, uh, being able to potentially tie the game. They, that wasn't a 60-minute game for me against the Giants in the regular season. Oh, the postseason was. They put the smackdown on them. So they did it twice last year in the postseason. They're 0 for 10 this year in 60-minute games where they just dominated the entire team, offense, defense, first half, second half, whatever market uh, measure you want to use. They haven't had a 60-minute game yet. Does it bother you with a 9-1 team?
5: There's two schools of thoughts on it. I mean, one, you could be concerned about it. Or two, you could look at it and get excited and say they haven't played sixty minutes, and yet they're still nine and one. Yeah. They just figure out ways to win games. I mean, we saw some of the stats that are coming out now after this game, Jody. It's amazing what Sirianni and Hurts have been able to do in the last twenty-eight games. So it concerns you a little bit because when they go against some of these better teams, and hey, look, the Chiefs are one of the better teams. But when they go against some of these better teams, you're going to have to put a sixty-minute effort, but. They just figure out ways to win football games, and it's almost – it's good in a way because it keeps them grounded. It keeps them – that whole focus that Sirianni talks about, which is like getting better every single day. The fact that they haven't played a 60-minute game yet, they're not smelling themselves. They're sitting there saying, look, we can get better. We can improve. We can keep doing things the right way to try to improve, and hey, whatever they're doing, it's still working. 26 and two in their last 28 regular season games man it's just it's amazing I I said this on my show yesterday too Jody it's we got to start enjoying this I think you and McMullen have talked about this too is these are the glory days for the Philadelphia Eagles we really need to enjoy what we're watching because you don't see this at the NFL level this is college this is high school stuff how they're winning at this clip but hey that's what we do in Philly man we I was going to say,
4: uh, I'll tie it to Philadelphia slightly differently. Uh, Short-term history, uh, yeah, it's nice that they're putting up these salad days, regular season numbers, 26-2, and some of the numbers you just threw out. They lost that game to the Chiefs last year in the Super Bowl. Yeah, The Philadelphia 76ers have made the playoffs uh, years running now. They can't get past the second round. The Phillies, after not making the postseason for a decade plus, got to the World Series, got beat. This year had a 3-2 lead against the Arizona Diamondbacks coming home to a park where they just don't lose. Got beat two in a row. I know they're all separate, but they're all tied together because it's a four for four town and it is Philadelphia. We are kind of waiting for the postseason. They they need to win the last game of the season, aka the Super Bowl. The glory days that are the regular season. If they were the only team in Philadelphia that were making the postseason, I'd go. Yes, you better pay attention to these glory days. We got a couple other teams in town that are making the postseason on a regular now and not uh, finishing the deal. So I, I get where the people are looking ahead and worried about uh, postseason action
5: today. I I don't blame
4: them for that because they're Philadelphians. And I've said this
5: before too. I think the problem with us Philadelphia fans is we've never had a dynasty. You look at these other cities, they've all had dynasties, even when one of their professional sports teams has struggled. You look at the Chicago Cubs, they had their drought. Well, they had the Bulls. You look at the Boston Red Sox, they had their drought. Well, they had the Patriots and the Celtics. You know, you could look at all these major cities, they've all had a dynasty in one of their professional sports teams. The closest we've ever come is what? The 74, 75 Flyers? Outside of that, We've never had it, so we're starved for championships in this town. I really thought I was going to die without seeing one. Thank God they delivered one in 2017. But I agree with you. It is hard to enjoy when all we think about is, hey, they got to get that Lombardi trophy. But I just can't imagine, Jody, with this team and with Jalen Hurts, that he's not going to deliver one eventually. Let's hope it's this year. But the way they win, and look, I know they have great veteran leadership that's not going to be around forever. Maybe even after this season, you may not have Jason Kelsey anymore. But it's just the way Jalen Hurts leads this team, I have to believe that one day he's going to hold up that Lombardi trophy. I'm hoping it's this February. All
4: right. Uh, we are Birds 365. He's Bill Calarulo. And for Johnny Mac today, Johnny, you got caught up in uh, travel stuff, canceled flights and everything else. Can you see McMullen just sleeping at the airport? That that's It's a. Uh, uh, a sight to see it's you?
5: one of my favorite uh one of my favorite thanksgiving movies is planes trains and automobiles let's hope he doesn't have uh one of those travel experiences. uh could could very well be <laughs> uh bill color Lloyd for johnny Mac with me jody mac it is
4: a wednesday that means we're heading down to the shore and one of the most important things we do every single week here on birds 365 find out what t-shirt mike gill is wearing <laughs> we are moments away From the t-shirt reveal and also some football insights when we punch him up. Mike Gill's up next here on birds 365.
1: Go to get your game on, go for the beers, go for the cheers, go for the hit and the hits, go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on, go to get your party on, go for the scene, go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit.
6: At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. They're carving
7: up a good play calling along the way. First goal, at the six. On the field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you.
4: On three. One, two, three. Because
7: Philadelphia dreams deserve a
8: Philadelphia bank.
4: Yes, we thank you for streaming in here on Birds 365. That is Bill Collarulo. He's in for John McMullen today with travel issues getting back from Kansas City. I'm Jody McDonald. That is Big Ben, or at least it looks like that with the clock in the background, Uh, or or Big Mike Gill, as we like to call him. Mikey G, I know this is like one of the biggest decisions you make every single week, and we put (laughs) it to the test and the task every week. What kind of T-shirt are we wearing today?
7: Well, I was at the Naval Academy this weekend, so I have kind of a, uh, a you know, a, a, a theme there. I'm going old school Pentagon for the Eagles defense on Monday night, shutting it down to win the game. No college for you, Jody. But okay. I figured Pentagon, Pentagon for the Eagles defense Monday night, be coming up with some big plays. The plays they couldn't get. On the ice skating rink in Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl, they made on a much better surface Monday night.
5: Wasn't that much better of a surface, though? That weather, I think, played a factor a little bit. That
7: tells you something, Bill. The fact that it was raining and the surface was still better than what they played on in the Super Bowl.
4: Fair, that's a fair point.
7: <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, the defense, I thought, um, you know, listen, Kansas City had some plays to make. They didn't make them. I mean, yeah, drops, we know. But how many balls did Mahomes throw where he missed? And you're like, oh, man, he usually makes that throw. He had three, four throws where he just missed guys. Uh, There was one. The Eagles, look, give them credit. They got some pressure. He runs through the pressure, and he kind of throws off his front foot and just kind of got too much air under it. That looked like a big play. He missed one down in the red zone. He had a couple throws, and I think he got called on the sideline saying, I got to make that bleep and throw. And he's right. He missed a couple throws in that game. But ultimately, look, I thought the sack from Reddick, the second play of the game, sets the tone that I'm here tonight. I got pressure. They hit him nine or ten times in the game. And I thought the defense really showed, hey, when we have to play a big game, Miami – Kansas City, we have it in us still.
5: One of the things that was so impressive, and we've seen it now a few weeks, is Sean Desai's defense coming out in the second half and being able to shut down teams. Me and Jody were talking about it before you came on. Surprising that the Chiefs were able to run the ball as effectively as they were in the first half. But then you look at what this defense did in the second half. They allowed the Chiefs to go 6 of 8 on third down in the first half only two of nine on third down in the second half. How impressed have you been with Sean Desai in the second half of football games this year?
7: Well, I I tweeted out four or five weeks ago. I said, don't get used to Sean Desai. He's going to be gone. Uh, I think he's done a really good job for two reasons, and it's one of the reasons why I think Brian Johnson has struggled a bit. Um, He has been able to mix the deck up I mean, he's had, what, five, six, seven different slot corners. You gave him a new safety. You had how many different safety combinations in the middle of this season? He had one linebacker, lost the linebacker, brought the linebacker back, went back to the other linebacker. So I think Sean Desai is showing that he's very smart and very adaptable. You know, somebody asked me a question on my show yesterday, and I think the listeners and the viewers would easily answer this question if Sean Desai was defensive coordinator in that Super Bowl last year, would the game have been different? And I think a lot of people immediately would say, absolutely. He is very adaptable and and willing to change. But I do say that with the caveat of, look, Kansas City had plays to make, they didn't make them. And that's some things that still need to be tightened up there. I mean, you look at the play where MVS gets behind the secondary. I think it's Josh Job is lined up on him. there. They found a matchup that they liked in that situation. You know, the Kelsey drop, he ends up getting the first down. But on that drive, they finally found a way to start getting him going. You're wondering, where was that earlier in the game for them? Well, I thought the Eagles had a pretty good game plan. Kevin Byard bracketing. they would had a good job of kind of keeping him out. But, yeah, that doesn't mean that he's uh, perfect at this point, but I think he's done a really, really good job.
4: Yeah, it wasn't Job. It was uh, Bradley Roby. There was one-on-one with Marcus Allen,
7: and uh, he he just got
4: basically run by. And that was there's a little luck involved in that. Eagles did a lot of good things and earned and deserved that win. But that drop pass was little luck shining down on him on a uh, rainy night in Kansas City. Here's what I'll say about the side. I I disagree with me, Mike. I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think either of the Eagle coordinators going anywhere. The it might not be guys. this
7: year. It might not be this
4: year. Right. At started, some but... point, at some point, I do believe he's got a chance. I'm talking this offseason, uh, not just yet on either of the oh. Eagles. and I'm with you. I think Desai will go first out of the two rather than Brian Johnson. John hates the word adjustments. McMullen hates it or halftime adjustment. They go into the oranges. That's not making adjustments. They're not in front of a blackboard designing place. I don't give a flying, you know what. How it comes about, even if it's just in the gray matter above Sean DeSai's shoulders, he's making adjustments, he's doing things differently. He's calling different tight plays that are getting better results in the second half. I- I'm not going to not give him credit for it just because of a definition of a word. Who who cares about how he adjusts, they adjust, the Eagles adjust. They're making adjustments. You can't tell me they're not because that second-half defensive effort was significantly better than the first.
7: Yeah, and, and, like, you know, whether the players are involved in those conversations, I think the coaches are saying, all right, what do we got to change here in the second half? What's something that they keep doing? You know, I can tell you Ryan Johnson's getting a lot of heat every single week, it seems like. You know, people want him gone. He's not doing this. He's like, why are you doing that? Calls the bubble screen to the left. Then he calls it to the right. And, you know, I think a lot of what Brian Johnson is dealing with, he's finally getting his feet kind of set in the turf, being a coordinator and calling plays at the NFL level. And then you take Dallas Goddard out of the offense for him. And the adjustments he has to make of trying to figure out who are we now? You know, Colin Thompson, who played tight end in the league, was on my show yesterday. So he really watches the tight end spot. And he's saying, look, people look at tight ends as fantasy football players. They want – how many catches and yards these guys get. But when you move Goddard from one side to the other or he's over here, the other team has to have a capable defender figuring out where he is because he is a capable player. In you know, Jack Stoll's there. They just don't care what he's doing in the past game. If he catches a ball, it's for three yards. He's not getting a lot. Not to mention what Goddard does in the blocking game. It was evident that the Eagle tight ends on the outside just were not doing the same job. And they were sending pressure from that outside, figuring these tight ends are not going to chip. They're not going to block the same way Dallas Goddard was. But in the second half, I think Brian Johnson, I think that's why you saw bubble screen left, bubble screen right. He said they're sending pressure from the outside. Let's try to bang some bubble screens right past that pressure. He finally put one in his back pocket and hit that little banger over the middle to DeAndre Swift, and it was like, you've got to keep setting pressure. We're going to go do something we haven't shown a whole heck of a lot. So I'm hoping that he's able to kind of find his way through this. And I think fans need to really keep in mind, fans want success on every play. Every play has to be successful. There's so many plays, though, that these guys – use as setups. Let me set something up. Even if it doesn't work here, I just want to show we're going to do this. And then I'm going to keep a bunch of plays in my back pocket for that moment. And, you know, I thought the screen to Swift was one of the big plays in that game that kind of busted that pressure up a little bit. And then, you know, Hertz checks out of that play because he sees the matchup in the slot. That's a great job though. of moving Smith down into the slot there to get that matchup. And, what a play by uh, DeAndre to uh, or Devonta to, um, to make that adjustment there. But, yeah, I think Johnson's got a tougher job of trying to adjust without Goddard right now as he was just trying to adjust to be a play caller at the NFL.
5: Nailed it with the tight end position, man. I got a soft spot because I was a tight end. So I like to talk about how they're the most important position on the field. But you're right, with Dallas Goddard, He can block as well as an offensive lineman, and he can catch as well as a wide receiver. It makes it really tough for defenses to try to match up with him. But we're talking about Brian Johnson. We're talking about Sean Desai. Why do you think Nick Sirianni still doesn't get the respect on the national level that he should get as a head coach? I saw a stat come out yesterday. He's now only the sixth coach since the 1970 merger to lead back-to-back teams to 9-1 and starts. And you look at the other names on the list. It's Dungy, Shanahan, Marv Levy, George Seifert, Don Shula, and now Nick Sirianni, and yet he's fifth in coach of the year odds. Why does he not get the same respect on the national level?
7: That's a great question. Usually because you get a team, for instance, Cincinnati Bengals. The first year they do something, you just don't believe in them until they show you. And then this year, everybody took for granted that Cincinnati is going to be a really good team no matter what. They had a couple injuries, five and five, didn't matter. It wasn't until Joe Burrow finally went down that you're like, all right, I'm out on Cincinnati, even though they weren't playing all that well. I think Detroit's facing that right now, where Detroit, I think a lot of people are starting to believe in Detroit, but it's like, ah, they're Detroit. Do I think they're as good as the Eagles or San Francisco? Eh, they're still Detroit. Sirianni's now in the second year. He went to the playoffs. Then he goes to the Super Bowl. And you're like, at what point are people going to get past that this was a guy that nobody really knew, had no idea where he came from, had no clue that the Eagles were going to hire this guy. So I think that is kind of interesting. Now, do they look at it as, hey, this team is just so good that anybody can do this? Is it a case in terms of the coach of the year thing? Yeah, this team went to the Super Bowl last year. Why would he be the coach of the year? They were already a good team. Sometimes good coaches fall into that. But I do agree, Bill, that on the national scope, when you mention who are some of the coaches in the NFL, top coaches right now, his name generally does not get mentioned. And I wonder, look, everybody see this video. He's screaming up at the fans. He's yelling at them, see you later, Chief fans. I mean, some people could be turned off by his sophomoric uh, way of, of, you know, handling things sometimes. But, hey, I agree. This guy – Think about this, though, the game we saw Monday night, Andy Reid, Nick Sirianni, two coaches, when they got hired, you were like, who the hell are these guys? And you look at the two teams that played Monday night. They're almost like the Spider-Man pointing at each other on how they're built. And it's all from Jeffrey Lurie taking a chance on two guys who nobody knew who these guys were and building these teams to really the two best teams in the league. It all started with the Andy hire. And here we are with Nick. All
4: right, then let me go ahead and get everybody annoyed here since uh, Bill brought it up. Um, The coach not getting his just rewards, and I think that's accurate. I think he is being undersold, undervalued nationally. I think you're right, Mike. I think he annoys some people with his uggo. Overly emotional, rather than sophomoric behavior, but overly emotional. Not quite professional enough behavior. You, you, you hit the nail on the head there. A lot of people, including Pro Football Focus last week, uh, put out their general manager ratings. Howie Roseman, numero uno, best general manager in the entire National Football League. Nick Sirianni, I think, had something to prove on Sunday. He won Monday. He wanted to beat Andy Reid bad. He knew that. He had lost Andy Reid and the Eagles hadn't beaten Andy Reid. And Andy Reid was the coach as long as he was here in Philadelphia. I think he wanted to win that game badly. He's a competitive guy. John tells us that all the time. He is an uber competitive guy. When does he start competing with Howie Roseman? Because Howie's getting the national love and Sirianni seems to be getting shortchanged, as Bill just pointed out, I think accurately so, a little bit. Is there any chance for internal? issues and uh, one guy getting more credit and one guy getting less credit when they're doing it hand in hand. Is that a potential issue for the Eagles going
7: forward? I think it's a really smart question. It's fair. We always, and look, this is what ends up happening when teams are good and you have not, I heard you guys talking about, look, the Eagles are what, 26 and two. We actually were talking Monday about the season has kind of been a little boring, you know, like, but Philadelphia, doesn't like to play with expectations. They like to be the underdog. Our favorite seasons are all these seasons that you didn't expect to win. Now we're expecting yeah. to win, so you're trying to find things. But I think what you're finding is a very interesting kind of psychology thing here. Of hey, I'm not getting the love. It's almost like Tommy Morrison in the Rocky movie. Like hey, what am I going to get the presses here? You, you, what are they giving you all the stuff for? And I don't. We haven't seen any. Like, Sirianni's a kind of an interesting guy. We see him yelling at the crowd, doing all these things. And then he gets into the press conference, and he does kind of re-shuffle kind of himself back to, like, coach, one game at a time, yada, yada, yada. But um, at this point, we have no evidence that that's happening. But I do think it's a smart and fair question of a team that is just kind of having no adversity and fans not being able to cope with Can't be all bubble gum and peaches over there. There's got to be something bubbling underneath the surface. Until then, uh, everything seems to be good. But I do think that that is something that could arise at some point. Who knows? If this team is still riding this wave in the middle of next year, that would be unbelievable, right? I mean, the run that they're on right now, you said it, Bill. This is high school. This is college. The only difference is high school and college, when teams are like this, they're usually winning 45-10. You know, that's the one thing that is a little different about this team is that they're on this run and it's not the prettiest thing you ever saw.
5: No, it isn't. But let's hope they can clean it up. Like Jody said, they haven't played a 60 minute game. It'll be scary when they actually start to play 60 minute games, hopefully. But while we're on this, it's not only Jody
7: Bill, Jalen Hurts said it right after the game Look, we still have not played our best ball and we're nine and one. You. You go to the Super Bowl champions, Arrowhead, Monday night, they're off the bye, which is another record that's up against you. We talked about Jalen Hurts, excuse me, uh, Patrick Mahomes had won 14 straight games in November. He was 39 and 9, or 38 and 9, entering that game in the month of November and December. Every number was saying, They don't lose this game. Right. And yet you're not playing your best. And you still like went in (laughs) there and won. You're looking up the the schedule and saying, Yeah, I know they play Buffalo and San Francisco, but what numbers am I going to be up against worse than that? So it'll be interesting.
5: And Ruben Frank over at NBC Sports Philly put out these stats too. It gets even worse. Andy Reid was 62 and 6, went up by 10 or more at the half, and then 65 and 8 when leading going into the fourth quarter, and somehow this Eagles team pulled out the victory. But I was about to say, while we're on this love fest, it's the day before Thanksgiving. We talked about Sirianni and Howie Roseman. Got to give some love to Jeffrey Lurie, too, because you mentioned him hiring Andy Reid when nobody knew who he was, hiring Nick Sirianni when nobody knew who he was. He also brought in Dougie P. When everyone was saying that was the worst coaching hire of the year, he leads to a Super Bowl Really, the only guy he hired that turned out to be a disaster was Chip Kelly, and that was the one everybody wanted. That was the only time he kind of right, went most, with the guy. Most popular
4: of any of the coaching guys he made. On exactly. um, The day he was hired, Chip was more popular than anybody
5: else. Exactly, and that's the only one that was a disaster. It seems to be that Jeffrey Lurie, I know some people say what they want about him, but he's been a great owner, and one thing he can do, man, is hire head coaches and finding guys that nobody else knows about.
7: Yeah, well, and the Chip Kelly thing, I remember I was at that press conference when he said, look, we want to be five years ahead of, be- of being a five years ahead. I'll give him credit for taking the shot. It not work- It actually worked for a year. He had everybody, the wool pulled for a year, Chip. And then, you know, everybody started to kind of figure it out. And he was kind of a curmudgeon guy to deal with. And then the power struggle, which, Jody, you referenced earlier, Chip didn't want uh, Rose been infiltrating any of the decisions, but... Where Lori comes back in here is he saw it and said, I'm not going to, you know, this is where GMs sometimes get on my nerves. You draft a guy. He stinks. You keep playing them to justify the draft pick. No, just admit I made a wrong pick. You're not going to get 100% of them right. We'll have more respect for you if you just say I messed up. And Lori finally pulled the plug. Before that season even ended, he said, this is not working. I'm getting out of this mess. Let's move on to the next one. So he made the mistake with Kelly. It looked good at the time. It really, I mean, he had that second year. The one year they were, the third year, I mean, they were, what, seven and nine. I mean, so they weren't even like a dumpster fire. It was just a mess with him and then the the Roseman and the draft stuff started to get all convoluted. And uh, Lori, so Lori uh, recognizes it gets out, but Lori, in this whole thing, I mean, ownership so many times in certain areas when things are bad, Washington uh, go, comes to mind. You know, Dallas, we know their ownership because it's so high profile in that, yeah, they're always really good, but we always feel that the ownership being the GM kind of keeps them from getting to that next level from playoff team to Super Bowl team. Jeff Lori. I think in, when we look back at this era, I mean, he has been one of the premier owners, maybe in all of sports, that doesn't get the attention.
4: All right. Since we're talking owners and you went to uh, Jerry Jones, I'll ask you this. I've not had a chance to look through and find anyone with a good speculatory opinion on this, so I need a Gill speculatory opinion. It was announced in the last 24 hours that they're going to induct Jimmy Johnson into the Cowboys' ring of honor, and they're going to do it this season. And people have been wringing their hands about this for years. When is Jerry going to admit that Jimmy did what Jimmy did? And Jerry just kept saying, "We're we're not in a rush. We'll get to it. Don't worry about it. Stop asking this question, blah, blah, blah. And then he not only does it, but he rushes it into a year. Usually they announce this stuff a year in advance so you can schedule it and put it on your calendar and sell a ton of tickets and merchandise. And they're going to do it, and they're going to get it up and done in like five weeks. That, to me, smells of a little desperation that the Cowboys know they got to catch the Eagles and it ain't going to be easy. And they really do believe this is still a year they can win the Super Bowl. Do you read it the same as me or is this wishful eagle
7: thinking? Uh, I would probably not go down the same avenue. I would just say, okay. like every, I would say just like everything they do, Jody, lack of attention to details, mismanagement at the upper level. Look, it's perfect. They have great talent. Jimmy Johnson, a great talent. I have great talent. The problem is I don't coach my talent well enough. They are doing something with this great talent in this day that they could have, and they're fumbling it just like they did in the loss against the Eagles. You have something nice. Do something smart with it. Don't try to rush it. The lack of attention to detail from that organization is epic. It is just apropos that they would mess something like this up. When they have nice things, they mess it up, and that's why they're the Cowboys of I'm 46 years old. I saw the 90s, so I do remember them being the team of the 90s. But after that, I mean, I co-host a show a couple days a week, guys in his 30s. He said, I've never seen the Cowboys be relevant ever. So most people in their 30s don't understand why the Cowboys are on the level that they are nationally. And I'm wondering, when our generation has kind of passed – Will the younger generation have carried that Cowboys thing through? Are there enough younger people? Because the team's never been good. (laughs) I mean, for 30 years, the team hasn't been relevant. So is that 30-year group of fans coming through still supporting them like the bandwagoners of the 70s and the 90s?
5: And you saw it after the game against the Chiefs. All the Eagles fans that are in the stadium – Start chanting, Dallas sucks in Kansas City. You're right, though. I mean, we have that hate for Dallas because we knew when they were good. I hope it continues because I love always rooting against Dallas. And let's keep it with Dallas for a second. Thanksgiving Day, as we're about to sit down for dinner, any chance Sam Howe and the Washington Commanders can go into Jerry's world on Thanksgiving as 11-point dogs and knock off the Cowboys?
7: Yeah, I mean, look, Washington showed they can move the ball. They can put some yardage up, and Dallas has shown they can let their guard down. And look, they had a game last week at Carolina where I don't think anybody thought they were losing that game. So they go and win that game. They blow the Giants out the week before. Are we all of a sudden ready to say that Dallas is consistent enough that they don't let their guard down in a game like this. This is the kind of game where generally they would let their guard down. Hey, we're now back in the conversation. Everybody believes in us again. Do I think it's going to happen? Not necessarily. But your question was, could it? Yeah, this is the classic Dallas has everybody back believing in them. We've blown two teams out of the water. And now, Thanksgiving, everybody watching, and a Washington team that's basically traded away their defense and is – I guess they're kind of in the wild card race right now, sadly, um, sneaks up and gets you. But, look, Dallas's big thing will be – I think it's going to be interesting, the Dallas-Miami game. These are two teams that can't beat anybody of any substance, and they're going to play each other. Somebody has to figure out how to win that game, and that will be the interesting one there. But for me, Detroit's the team with the schedule they have that you – have to keep an eye on because they can keep piling up wins so they're going to keep the pressure on you san francisco to an extent but detroit's right with you and their schedule coming up is very manageable that they should only have maybe one or two more losses left on that schedule now they are detroit are we banking on them to get through this i think that team's pretty good
4: I actually, um, from an Eagle perspective, a little P.O.ed at last week's game. They they got to lose that game. Chicago, yep. you got to close that out. You let them off the hook. You had them down and you let them off the hook. I think the Lions will actually be better and grow from that game. And, oh, by the way, Cowboys going to win by about three touchdowns on Thursday. That's what they do this year. They yep. get bad teams. They beat the snot out of them. Except for In Arizona. Arizona. Right. Early in the season, the uh, the Arizona was the only team. Little did we know Josh Dobbs was going to become Josh Dobbs somewhere else. He was in Arizona that day, and then he's uh, now turned into a uh, world beater in Minnesota. No, I expect the Cowboys will beat the snot out of uh, Washington uh, on, on Thanksgiving. Sorry, Bill, if that ruins your Thanksgiving Day meal. But uh, get, get ready for it, because I think it's going to happen. I. Right. The um, question I asked, Bill, earlier, you mentioned Sirianni talked about a 60-minute the game. Um, they mentioned it as soon as the game was over. Do you just put that behind you? Do you, do you you're 9-1. What's more important than just continuing to win games or have to have a game where, and not to impress Jody McDonald or Bill Calarulo or uh, Mike Gill or any of our streaming listeners, no, just for their own psyche. To know that they can have a 60 minute game. How important is it between now and the end of the season?
7: Or do you just. We hear a lot about this in the preseason. They got to get a good drive, they got to put together a solid drive. And that's gone out the window. I, I think this 60 minute thing is only relative if it's necessary. If you need it in that game where the team, the Super Bowl, You had to play a 60-minute game because they were playing at the same level as you were. I think what's interesting about this, you know, I've said really after the Dallas game, everybody tries to search for what's the identity of your team. And I had said for Philadelphia, it's becoming clear that their identity is if you want to beat us, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to do something you don't want to do. And that's the only way you're going to beat us. You're not going to beat us doing what you like to do. If you're going to beat us, fight us. Can they do that? They could do that against Washington and Minnesota and Tampa Bay, New England. They could find ways to beat those teams. But can they do it for three straight weeks in January where you're playing? And I think this stretch of games is going to be a good test to find that out. Can we not play our best, but make you uncomfortable enough that even if we're not at our best, you're doing something that you don't like to do? Can they win like that for three straight weeks? Can they beat three straight playoff teams in that fashion? I think these games, this five game stretch, they got one. They get Buffalo this week, San Francisco, Dallas, Seattle. If they get, if they go four and one through this stretch, guys, you got you got uh, New York, Arizona, and New York. Do we look at this team and say, man, they might go six, 15, and two? I mean, this stretch is going to be so interesting to see, just to me, what their ceiling is. If they can play this style of football, where maybe they're not their best. Maybe they're not flashy. But maybe their best is this style, which is we're going to make your style something you don't want to do. Can you play 60 minutes like that? And I think that's who they're trying to be right now. A team that maybe doesn't look great themselves, but drags you down with
5: them. Yeah. Yeah, it's been... Been good to watch, but let's hope they can they can do it in the playoffs for sure. Mike, did you see what Tom Brady said about the NFL being mediocre now and how the rule changes? I I sure did. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Rule changes have really hurt because now teams are just looking for penalties, and offensive players don't know how to protect themselves anymore. What did you think about Brady's comments?
7: I mean, look, again, I'm 46 years old, so I thought he was spot on the money. The game I'm watching now, I feel bad for some of the people that this is the game they're growing up on. It's a terrible game. It's just flags all over the place. I love the announcer a couple weeks ago that said the, the referees are going to need Tommy John surgery after this game because it's just become a flag fest. It's terrible. I mean, pass interference is just a convoluted disaster. Roughing the quarterback is a disgrace. All these rules, the game, John says it all the time. I totally agree. It's over-legislated. I love what Brady said. He put the onus on himself. I don't throw the ball to certain windows because I think that that guy's going to get leveled. He said offensive players need to protect themselves. You can't protect them from the defensive player. What's the defensive player supposed to do? Yeah, I think the league has become very mediocre. And look, we're watching it right now. We're watching teams. Is there a team that jumps off the page that looks like, I'll even go to the, the 90s Cowboys. Uh, does anybody look like these great Patriots teams that we grew up on? I don't know that any of these teams rival anything we saw 10, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, it's unfortunate, but this is the league. It's not turning around. They're not changing anything. This is all safety-based, and we know that.
4: If I were there, when it, Bill, I didn't see the stuff about Brady. When Did he say it? On a radio show, or he was on Stephen A. Smith's podcast. Stephen Stephen A. Smith. Did Stephen A. Smith follow up with this question? What happened this offseason that it changed time? Because I don't remember you complaining about it when you were playing. It isn't like Brady's been retired for a decade. He's been retired for ten minutes, not years. He just got the frig out. So now all of a sudden the NFL sucks and there are too many flags. When you get all those calls, when it benefited Bowls, from never, them, never, never really uh, seemed to bother you enough to say something about it when it was helping you win Super Bowls. Come on, how do you let him get away with a statement like "Shame on Brady"? He just freaking left, and he never bit. He he, he bitched about being. Uh, uh, asked to hand over his
7: phone. Yeah, I get that with all the, the plate
4: gate. But I don't remember him complaining about reps well,
7: week in and week out. And keep in mind, this is coming from a guy who's supposed to be in the Fox booth starting next year, making critical comments about the league has basically become mediocre. Now you're going to have a spokesman for your league every Sunday with comments saying, what I'm watching is a mediocre product.
5: Yeah, I'm sure. Fox- He's not wrong,
7: though. He's not wrong.
5: I just like that he referenced uh, Ronnie Lott. I don't think he ever even came close to playing with Ronnie Lott.
7: I, I said Ray Lewis. I did hear him say Ray Lewis. You know, he said, oh, those guys, any hit that they would have, every hit tackle they would have made would have been a penalty in today's game. I, Ray Lewis, I heard. I don't know if I remember live. Yeah, I think he there said Ronnie guy Lott, guy Ray
5: Lewis. Yeah. Yeah.
7: I, uh, sorry, Tom.
4: Don't need to hear from you. When you get the, if he does it, when he's in the Fox booth, I'll give him some credit for that because that's nervy. That's oh, you so that's fitting in your employer's eye. That I'll give him credit some, for. If he goes down some, that road during a game on Fox, then I'll go. There was friend, some got, uh, balls, TMZ. So the
7: there was some TMZ video of him, I guess, this weekend with Aaron Andrews and one of the Fox executives. So they must have been in a bunker somewhere, maybe doing a, a practice run of uh of Eagles Chiefs, maybe. Uh, unfortunately we're not going to have that one for a couple of years, uh, but it was
4: a big time rivalry win for the Eagles. All right, Mike, uh, before we let you on Mike Gill. yesterday, or I should say Monday, um, the return of the big play from Deandre Swift. He had had a bunch of games in a row where he week two, he rushed for six yards per carry week three against Tampa. was over eight yards per carry the last six weeks. the other night, uh, yards per carry on DeAndre Swift. Why did he kick back in gear?
7: That's a good question. Um, It all of a sudden, and because the offensive line did not have a great night in pass protection, um, he looked like he had a little extra, a little extra burst there. I think the Eagles have to some extent, look, He's got more touches this year than he's ever had in his career. I think there is the element of you've got to kind of limit his pitch count a little bit. You know, this is a guy who's had a ton of injury issues in his past. So even if he's rocking and rolling, I thought he looked really uh, burnt, had a good burst, re- looked really quick the other night. They still seeming like they want to hold him to that 12 to 15 area. It's like, hey, we can't give him 18 to 20. That's just too many for him. Uh, But for whatever reason, I don't have the answer because it's interesting. We talked about the tight end, Goddard, how big he is in the block, uh, in the block, uh, in blocking in the run game. For him to get that extra burst and get those extra yards, I thought was a big positive. Now, early in the game, they did have a quarterback sweet call that they ran. It looked like a called third down where he took off. Could that have just been enough? to open up some RPO things that they thought maybe hurts. So you run it early and then put that in your mind. Hey, hurts ran that sweep early in the game. So they have to account for him. That could have just been enough to get him rocking and rolling.
4: That's what John and I have been saying for weeks now that when you don't have the plus one aspect of the Eagles rushing game and the threat of Jalen taking off, it just gives the defense one less thing to worry about, and then they can zero in on the back, and it does cut into his yards. I I agree wholeheartedly with you. I thought you were going there. I was hoping you went there. You're a smart man, Mike Gill. Uh, MG, always a pleasure. Appreciate it. We will get you up here again next week when they we wait with we bated breath for the T-shirt selection. I'm, I'm um, running out of
7: shirts, man. I'm running out of shirts. The people watching, you got
4: to send I me some shirts. I stuck up. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, Mike Gill needs T-shirts. For those of you who Pentagon. want to make a statement, Pentagon, he went Pentagon today. Uh, you want to make a statement, send your T-shirts to Mike Gill at the Sports Bash 97.3. What town is that in down there? Our building's
7: in Northfield, 950 Tilton Road, Northfield, if you want to mail me a shirt. All right. right, nine
4: 950 Tilton Road. Hopefully you wrote that down. Uh, that would be XL, by the way. Uh, not, not a little guy, Mike Gill, so make sure it's XL. Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks, bud.
7: All right, happy Thanksgiving, guys.
12: Yes, Same to you, and bro. you,
4: happy Thanksgiving and to everybody out there, Mike Gill included, but to everyone because yeah, this is our last show. We got an hour left to play. We're gonna punch up Brian Cameron from Philly Sports Network in about twenty minutes, uh, but yeah, we're gonna be off on Thanksgiving like everybody else. So yes, happy Thanksgiving. We still got plenty more to talk about here on Birds Three Sixty Five. So keep it right here.
1: Go to get your game on. Go for the beers.
4: birds 365 you're on the jacob media youtube channel if you're a big fan of bill colorulo man he gets uh so many likes during his show on the power hour because he sucks up to the guys on the stream and responds and uh chats directly to them i'll go down that road if you just hit the like button for us here on birds 365 i'll go i'll talk directly to you guys on the stream get ready for a realistic jody mcdonald question that could potentially have an answer that doesn't project to the Eagles winning every game between now and the end of the season. I Some people just can't stand the fact that I bring up something that isn't 100% positive about the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'm going to go there again with you, Bill Calabulo. We brought it up at the end of yesterday's show. My best fan here on the stream, Dominique, got ticked off that I brought it up at all yesterday uh, after a major Eagle win. The Eagles defensive ends, a.k.a. Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat, are both playing a lot of snaps. And this is in comparison to what they've done previous seasons. Hassan's only, of course, was last year, but Josh Sweat's a good couple of years. So I'm not like making this up or giving you, here's the amount of snaps that I think Hassan Reddick. no. I'm judging by what's transpired here in Philadelphia previously. And last year's a pretty good uh, line to demark. Seeing as they got 70 sacks, you'd want to repeat that if you could, right? Well, they're pushing the envelope with these guys these days. Both Sweat and Hassan are playing a lot of snaps, a lot more snaps than they were used to or that they played last year cause for concern, legit cause for concern. Stop it, Jody. They're nine and one. What the hell are you talking about? Of course we need our best players on the field. That's the way everybody plays. No, most teams use a constant four man rotation and the Eagles are down to three. And one of them is Brandon Graham, who they've got on a pitch count to begin with anyway, because he's a little older than everybody else. I bring it up because I do believe it's a legit concern. If that makes me an Eagle hater in the eyes of my boy, Dominique, so be it. Uh, Bill Calarula, are you a hater like me? Are you in any way, shape, or form at least concerned about the fact that they're leaning as heavily on Swift uh, Swift, uh, and Reddick as much? uh, Why can't I come up with... uh, Uh, I got DeAndre Swift on the brain because of the running game. Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick playing too many snaps.
5: The reason I'm concerned is because I think it's showing that Nolan Smith is not as far along as they were probably hoping he would be. You draft a guy in the first round. You're expecting him to be able to contribute in year one in today's NFL. And I think he played five snaps against the kansas city chiefs so that's the concern i have is look i wasn't expecting much from Derek barnett this year i know you weren't expecting much from Derek barnett this year i remember you said in the offseason you were surprised they even brought him back and you turned out to be 100 correct on that but that's my concern is yeah there's not a lot of depth at that defensive end position now you have barnett out with personal reasons brandon graham Love BG, will always love BG. Clearly not the same guy he was. He's on a pitch count every night. Yep. And Nolan Smith is not as far along as he probably should be at this point in the season. How long can you rely on Reddick and Sweat? I think they're playing over 70% of the defensive snaps week after week. So I do agree with you. I don't think you're spewing hate here. Who said that yesterday? Somebody said that in the chat? Oh, yeah. Dominique.
4: Our uh, Jukowski tart uh, head of his fan club. Uh, he thinks I'm a stone cold hater because how dare I bring up anything but only optimistic points on the Eagles? Uh, sorry, if you're looking for a cheerleader, Bill, I don't uh, don't catch it enough for your show going forward. I doubt that you're as big a cheerleader as some of these people would like. But uh, yeah, no, my job is to look at both the positive and the negative. And if it annoys some people that I referenced negative from time to time. And, you know, it really did piss me off yesterday because I didn't bring this up till the last 12 minutes of the show. We sung the Eagles praises. We talked about how everything was great, whatever. And they got all bent or I shouldn't say they Dominique in particular got bent out of shape because I brought it up. I brought it up in the last 15 minutes of a two hour show. We, we sung the Eagles praises for an hour and 45. How dare you point out that maybe they're taking a risk and playing two guys at a position where they usually substitute liberally. How dare you bring up anything negative about the Philadelphia Eagles, Johnny Mack? Yeah, that's my boy, Dominique.
5: Yeah, I'm a little surprised at the trade deadline. I know you've you've heard rumblings that maybe Siri or Siriani, Howie Roseman was sniffing around for another pass rusher, but it would have been nice. And you look at the 49ers. Look how deep their defensive line is. Eagles have that depth at the D tackle position, but they're certainly light on the edge. Hey, maybe Nolan Smith will prove some things towards the end of this season here, but that's my concern is I was really hoping a first round draft pick would have been a little bit more ready than Nolan Smith is.
4: And, and if you'll remember back to the preseason and uh, you, I don't get down there every single day, like John does, She's there every single practice, every single minute, the limited amount of minutes, the Eagles give the media as a matter of fact, everybody's singing the praises of Nolan Smith. He's a playmaker. He's a speed guy. He's going to open up eyes. He's going to be part of the defense, a potential star, favorite player here in Philadelphia going forward. And he kind of leveled off. And again, we don't get to see practice, so we just, the only thing we can interpret by is the amount of playing time he gets, which is minimal. This week, no Derek Barnett. He's staying home for personal reasons. We got no idea what that means. Five snaps. He played five snaps for the entire game. Uh, What else can we possibly read into this other than, yeah, he's not ready, Bill. What, What are
5: we reading into? What am I missing? You're not missing much. I mean, it's like you said, no Derek Barnett. I was angry in the beginning of the season because I said, why are they giving Derek Barnett more reps than Nolan Smith? We've seen what Barnett can do, but now Barnett's not even dressed for the game and they're still not giving Nolan Smith reps. So let's hope they he's not. I I don't want to say that they missed It's He's still early. It's still his rookie season. You've seen guys, especially look at Brandon Graham, took him a couple of years to get going at that edge position. But I was really high. I wanted them to draft Nolan Smith going into the draft. I was saying, hey, if they can't get Jalen Carter at 10, take Nolan Smith. I would have been okay with them taking Nolan Smith at 10. Well, they trade up, they get Carter at 9, and then somehow are able to get Nolan Smith at 30. But I would have been okay with them taking him at 10. So I'm shocked that he doesn't look ready at this point. Cause I was high on him as well. So. Right. And I, it, again,
4: I don't want to write him off for his career. Cause like you just pointed out correctly, BG right off the bat, people go, well, how do we not take a safety instead of Brandon Graham? And now Brandon Graham's one of the all-time great Eagles. So you can't overreact over a short term, uh, but I got to thank my guy. Uh, you got the stream in front of you, right? Dominique, Dominique Dabney. He came up big for me here to help me make my point. Um, <laughs> Uh, Jody, all he does is that uh, we got one of the best teams. Well, first of all, Dominique, I would say the Eagles have the best team, not one of the best teams. They have the best team in the National Football League to this point. But his response to me calling him out, we got one of the best teams in the league. And all he talks about is negatives like, God damn, what are we supposed to think? Bill Colorulo, is that all I've talked about today? Is is the negative aspect of the Philadelphia Eagles all I talk about? You and I started the show an hour and twelve minutes ago. Have I been talking about the negatives all so long? You've been pretty
5: positive today for this Thanksgiving Eve. I think no being... no 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 what, what,
4: didn't you read what Dominique said? <laughs> all he talks about is the negatives. Uh, okay, Dominique, it's amazing. You 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 have a an ability that I just don't have the ability to tune everything out except what you want to hear. So when I go with a question, not a negative, but a question, a legitimate question, and I do believe if you don't, fine, continue to wear your blinkers and your blinders and wave your pom-poms. If you don't think it's a legitimate question that the Eagles have one part-time backup defensive end at a position where the Eagles, I'm not even talking about, I don't give a flying fart about the other 31 teams. I'm just judging the Eagles by what the Eagles have done. I won't even go past the Sirianni era. We'll just look at the two-plus years that he's been coaching. The Eagles have used that as a position where they like to rotate guys and keep guys fresh and have them healthy all season. And for me to point out that Brandon Graham is playing less because he's a veteran, as he should, and their other defensive end as of right now is no one. Nolan Smith played five snaps. If that's me being negative, my friend, you are amazing in that you can just hear what you want to hear. You can completely disregard and have it be white noise when I say nice things about the Eagles for 92% of the show. But that 8% where I actually bring up a legitimate question, oh, man, you hear that zone in on that and go, Jody's a hater.
5: And I'm looking, Jody. To further your point here, I just went back and looked at the snap count. You guys may have done this yesterday, but I just went and looked at the snap count. So last year, Hassan Reddick played 74% of the snaps, but then Josh Sweat only played 53 and Brandon Graham played 43. So they were really splitting those reps. And then so far this season, you got Hassan Reddick playing 74%. They got Josh Sweat playing 76% of the snaps. And BG dropped all the way down to 29. So definitely don't have the same rotation that they had last season. Let's hope it's not an issue. It's a long season. 17 games, hopefully three playoff games. So I agree with you. That is something to be concerned about.
4: And hopefully, either Nolan Smith gets up to speed or uh, maybe, maybe, just maybe. I doubt this highly. But Brandon Graham could come back and actually – not Brandon Graham – uh, their other defensive end who uh yes from time to time I point out that he probably shouldn't have been on the roster to begin with Derek Barnett maybe he comes back and gives him. I don't know I'm, I'm wishful thinking here guys uh it is again the Eagles' defense was phenomenal in the second shut out the Kansas City Chiefs Patrick Mahomes, one of the best quarterbacks uh over the last decade in the national football and they just put the clamps on him outstanding defensive effort so Keep it in its proper context. But I'm just a little worried that at a position where the Eagles in years have gone by, the Sirianni era, have you just read? I didn't read them in the numbers. You read them the numbers. They were on point. Thank you very much for that, Bill. It's it's worth noting. That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to hate or anything else. I'm just saying it's worth noting. All right. Uh, we've got uh, Brian Cameron from Philly Sports Network jumping on with us in just a couple seconds. But let me get this question to you before we are Brian up. Then I'll ask him Um, linebacker from the Colts released yesterday. Shaq Leonard um, has been a Pro Bowl level player in his career. When Nick Sirianni was there in Indianapolis, as a matter of fact, he was a Pro Bowl level linebacker. Their linebackers, they're down because of N'Kobe Dean, but uh, the guys played well enough the other day. Uh, if they wanted to, they could claim him. Now, they got the 30-second claim. So if he gets claimed by somebody else, he's owed like $6 million over the rest of the year. The Eels wouldn't even get a chance at him. Um, Do you think the Eels, as we talk here about lineback- uh defensive ends and a little bit of a shortage there, do you think a and linebacker hitting the market who's been a Pro Bowl level, not of late, but Pro Bowl level, Do you think the Eagles show interest in him and would put a claim into him if he drops all the way down to 32?
5: I think they should. I think they certainly should. I don't think it can hurt to add a little depth at that position. You just mentioned Dean's hurt again. I wouldn't say to put Morrow or Cunningham on the bench. I think both those guys are playing pretty well. But to get a guy who's only 28 years old and Shaq Leonard been a starter in this league for a long time, you mentioned his history with Nick Sirianni, and if you remember correctly, when Sirianni had that really bad opening press conference to start his tenure in Philadelphia, one of the first guys that came to his defense was Shaq Leonard from Indianapolis saying, this guy is a good coach. You're judging him by one bad press conference. So I would like to see them bring in a, a guy like him. Why not? If the price is right, I think it's about $6 million left. For the rest of
4: the year. That's that's a pretty good price
5: Yeah, for an, at this stage of his career, only okay player. Yeah, so it would depend on if they could squeeze him in. I'm sure, sure Howie Roseman could figure it out, but there's oh not they much get they can it do. done. Yeah, they yeah.
4: could they could renegotiate a couple of contracts, but that
5: the, the question is, can not can they fit him? But is he worth fitting? In your opinion, depends on how much he has left. I haven't watched too many Colts games. I know he was good in his career, but if it's a depth piece, I'd be okay with it. I mean, it's not like 28 years old is a crazy age. Zach Cunningham. Is 28 years old. So who knows? Maybe the guy still has some left in the tank. And look, I don't know much about him. I'm not a huge Colts fan. But what I will say is, I think he showed a lot of character yesterday. I'm not sure if you saw. He gets released, but still shows up to give out turkeys and food for the Colts. And I thought that was a really classy move on his part. So, hey, if he fits the culture, Nick Siriani knows him well. I don't think it would hurt to add some depth at that position. I think he's a class guy, and I think he would fit the culture. That's not uh, – for me, That one's, that's not a question.
4: I just don't know that he's a $6 million linebacker anymore, yeah. and you might want to keep that flexibility under the salary. I know there aren't major moves to be made, but maybe someone else drops out and becomes available with a couple of weeks ago, and you might have better use for that salary cap flexibility. He's Bill Calarulo. I'm Jody McDonald. Appreciate you streaming in here on Bird's. 365 coming up next. Brian Cameron from Philly Sports Network, Eagle Beat reporter, uh, going to join us and give us his insight for what went down in KC. And we'll take a little bit of a peek ahead to the Buffalo Bills with Brian Cameron from the Philly Sports Network next here on Birds 365.
1: Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes.
4: Appreciate you being here on Birds 365. We've got Bill colorulo in for a still out there on the road. Didn't get back from Kansas City. Travel trouble. John McMullen uh, builds in today with me, Jody Mack. And we've got Brian Cameron from Philly Sports Network jumping in with us. Thank you very much. Is that Christmas tree I see in the background already?
11: You already yeah, got it
4: up
13: there, Cameron? Yeah, I got it up ready. You can see my daughter scootering. Very around, nice. Uh, the, the, uh, house as well. Um, yeah, we're... We're big on getting the Christmas tree up early, and then um, we take it down to, literally the day after Christmas.
4: <laughs> oh, see, I'm a linger. I don't put it up till after Thanksgiving, and then I get it sometime in late January. I'll probably take it down. A little different, a little lazy over here in the McDonald's. <laughs> I right, got a question for you. After the game the other night that the Eagles won, Jalen Hurts said they didn't reach the standard. They didn't reach their standard. How dare he? How dare he go negative after a win? Why would Jalen Hurts do that? Why would he bring up, because I'm, by the way, getting crushed here on the stream because I I actually bring up things like they might be overusing their defensive ends a little bit at this stage of the season. How dare Jalen Hurts go negative and say they didn't reach their standard the other night against the Chiefs?
13: I think it's it's the norm coming from Jalen, right? Like Jalen expects greatness from this team, and this team has, uh, as we've seen, right, they're not, the 2022 Philadelphia Eagles, right? They're they're a different breed of Eagles this season. They're going through adversity week in, week out, um, but they have yet to play their best football. I mean, we saw a very questionable play calling from Brian Johnson, um, you know, back-to-back bubble screens, uh, QB drawn third down once again this um, this week. So it's just, it's just a matter of, hey, saying like, yeah, win is a win, great, but we're still not playing our best football, which it should be encouraging to say the least.
5: I'm getting a kick, Brian, out of watching your daughter back there, man. My my kids always try to come into the office and and bother me when I'm on the show, but she's she's being good, man. I love it. So talking about the standard, one of the things that a lot of fans were frustrated with early in the season was the red zone offense. They were near the bottom of the league, and they've been getting better and better each week. They're actually in the top 10 now at number nine in the red zone at 59%. If you look at the last, I guess, five weeks now, since week six, they're number one in the NFL, converting in the red zone 75% of the time. What have you seen different? Is it just better execution? Is it play calling? What do you like about their red zone offense right now?
13: What I like about it is that they're very um, leaning towards DeAndre Swift, I feel like. Um when they get when they get close enough, they're letting the, um, the offense actually, I, I feel like, run through the run game, which is something that it needs to happen a little bit more. Um, and they're not being as as um reserved as they once were. I feel like in the beginning of the season, they were just still because it, it seemed like they were so worried about making sure that they they didn't cause any turnovers, anything of that sort. That they were just playing a very weird offense. But now it's more so like, hey, like you know, let let the guys roll. Let DeAndre do his thing. If we're at the one yard line, let, let Jalen do his thing. Um, I don't want to say they're they're getting creative, right? But they're getting um, they're starting to find ways that work for themselves at the moment. But they're not at that point where it's, you know that level of creativity um is back yet.
4: All right, Brian, I'm going to bring you back to Monday night. I need your in-the-moment reaction. Andy Reid, fourth down, his own 39-yard line with the lead, and he decides to punt on what I thought was a a reasonably makeable field goal. Harrison Butker is a guy who makes almost 70% from 50-plus. It was – 57 it wasn't outrageous it wasn't 62 that he was asking him to kick it would have been a 57 yard field goal boards on the 39 and he decides to punt and of course he gets the worst possible result which is a touchback so he picks up all of 19 yards on the exchange how big an impact did that have on the outcome of the game strategically and mentally and emotionally
13: I think it's a significant impact. Um and looking at it from Andy Reid's standpoint, it's like if I'm punching, you know, I believe in my defense that much. Defense was was doing their thing against the Eagles offense for most of the game. Um so it's kind of one of those moments where you you believe in your your team more than you believe in um, what's what what you send the opposing sidelines. Uh it's Andy Reid at the end of the day. I mean, we can question him as much as we want, but you know, he, he he's he's efficient as 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 can be at um in this league, and. Um, It was a a game-changer on their part, um, but I think it was more so a a praise for their defense of of what they were doing in that game.
5: Sticking with the defense for a second, we saw two turnovers in the red zone by that defense, interception by Kevin Byard, great punch-out by Bradley Roby, two veteran guys that weren't here to start the season. Howie brings one in as a free agent, another big trade for Kevin Byard. What do you think those two veterans on the back end are going to add to this Eagles team going forward?
12: I love um,
13: the Bayard move. I feel like that was a necessity um, for this year and hopefully for next year. Um, But Bayard being back there and kind of getting acclimated, uh, the defense was having issues with with creating turnovers this season, I feel like, in the secondary. Um, Darius Slay is not – not who he once was, right? Not, not as young as he once was, but um, he's still efficient. Brad, Bradbury's been having a very up and down season. I feel like having that safety blanket where you have a healthy re-blanket ship, a healthy Kevin Byard, who's actually a pretty much, you know, pretty much a ball hawk at a safety position. Um, it's it's a necessity at this point, is it's great for the secondary. Bradley Roby, I feel like is the bigger surprise. Um, I wasn't expecting him to be such a, a game-changing um player, but having him back and having that consistency in a slot, I feel like it's gonna be it's gonna pay dividends for this team in the long run. Um, we see, you know, Eli Ricks is not, not fully there yet. Um, he still, you know, he still has his rookie moments, and after that, I mean, they, they, there's not many people you can really trust. But having a player like Byard gives you that flexibility as well. Um, you saw a lot of Sydney Brown, Reed Blankship, and Bayer back there. So I'm, I'm very actually, um, I'm optimistic about how this secondary looking in the long run.
4: So you're not worried at all about Bradley Roby with the game-changing play that he almost get gave up. By allowing Marcus Valdez scrambling to run by him and be wide open for a ball at the three-yard line that he just dropped. He made a huge play. The the punch-up mm. play was great. He almost gave up the biggest play of the game as well.
13: Uh you, you look past that one? The reason I would look past by past it is because it feels like the Eagles they're always going to be against giving up the deep ball, right? But in this game, it was kind of a little bit, you know, closer to the chest. They wanted to kind of block the middle of the field um, mostly. Bradley Roby, James Bradbury, Darius Slade, they are all going to get burned somehow, some way, right? This this defense doesn't have the speed that they once um, did. Um, and guys like Eli Ricks, even though they're they're fresh fresh legs, they're not competent enough to to handle the the workload that they um that they should at this point, right? Um, I think it's one of those things that give and take. You know, he made a big play. He he almost gave a big big play, but it's just you bend and don't break, right? That's what, what we're used to in Philadelphia on defense.
5: So, Jody says, look past it. Reminds me now, are you concerned at all about the Philadelphia Eagles looking past the Buffalo Bills this week? They're on a short week, coming off a really emotional win in Kansas City on Monday night. San Francisco, two weeks away. Any chance this Eagles team looks past the Buffalo Bills on Sunday?
13: I don't think they'll look past the Bills, but I'm fearful that they're they're looking over the 49ers more than they're looking past the Bills. In my opinion, um, I think the Bills are more a uh, significant threat in their minds, and I, I feel like the 49ers are just lingering in the middle of the pack. I have the I have the Eagles dropping a game against the 49ers, but winning against the Bills um, just for the. the just for this, this this exact reason. I mean, again, like, I feel like they're going to focus on the Bills. They're going to go through the, the windmill of, of dealing with Buffalo. Um, Josh Allen is not a scrub at the end of the day, even though he's having a rough season. And I think, you know, I think they win, win against the Bills, in my opinion. But let me get this straight. This is you handicapping the Eagles, handicapping their opponents.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
4: you think they're going to take the 49ers lightly? In I, 12 days
13: or whatever it is, really, I think they're overlooking it just a little bit, just because it's the gauntlet that they have at hand. I mean, you're focusing on the Chiefs and you got to focus on the Bills. Like, it's just, it's the you're adding tread too, too much tread to the tire at the moment. I feel like,
4: wow, that comes as a surprise because I'm sorry, the 49ers are a better team than the Bills, plain and simple. Oh, no, yeah,
13: hands down, absolutely. It's just a better team. And
4: why, why would the Eagles, knowing that the Bills are a what well, we talked about just so much this past week. McMullen kept trying to tell me this chiefs game wasn't a rivalry game because it's the AFC. You can't have a rival in the AFC. The only thing that matters is the NFC and tiebreakers or whatever else. The bills tougher than the 49ers. A the 49ers are just a better football team. The record says they're better and B they're in the NFC. How would you overlook the 49? How would you get overly worked up for the Bills and then somehow not have enough left in the tank for the 49ers? I'm having trouble understanding that. No, that's completely
13: fine. So I, Again, like, I feel like they're overlooking the 49ers in this current gauntlet, right? Like, you, you put so much energy in this Chiefs, right? You're going to put as much energy in, in the Bills game. Then you have the 49ers shortly after that. And after the 49ers, you do have the Cowboys. There's going to be a lot of a lot of um, tread going on these tires in the next four weeks of of this gauntlet. Um, for the Bills, I feel like they're a team that's also going to probably wear down this this um, defense as well as this offense going into um, into Sunday. And then the 49ers, is, they're – I feel like the 49ers have it very easy at the moment with, every, with their schedule. So it's, it's going to be one of those things where, like, the Eagles are a, a, a pretty battle-tested at the moment. They're a little bit worn down. And the 49ers could come in and actually steal a game.
5: Interesting. And let me ask you this. Two new coordinators this year, Sean Desai on the defensive side of the ball, Brian Johnson on the offensive side of the ball. There's been some complaints by fans for both coordinators. I think they're actually both doing a pretty decent job. Sometimes the play calling by Brian Johnson leaves a little to be desired, but I think he's doing a nice job. Who would you give a better grade to? Sean Desai as the defensive coordinator or Brian Johnson as the offensive coordinator?
13: I think what Sean Desai um, is doing needs a little bit more praise. Um, he's been at, in the second half of game. His his, um, his adjustments have been on par um, in almost every game. Um, he's he's barely been been getting really beaten by teams, right, as um, outside of the Jets game where it was the offense that threw away the game. Um, but Sean decides is, is doing everything is, is doing everything with the little amount of talent that he has. If you look, you look at the injuries in the first couple of weeks in the secondary, um, it took time for them to get a safety group together. Um, the defensive line went through their, their little spat of injuries. They lost Jalen Carter for some time. It's just, I feel like what Sean Desai is doing he's maximizing off the, the talent of the players and the personnel that he has at the moment. I think I feel like that deserves a lot of praise. Brian Johnson, um, I'm still, you're right, he's doing a great job when you look at stats, right? When you look at numbers, um, the Eagles, they do have a top five offense in a lot of the categories, but it's still a bit of a head scratcher when you're running bubble screens to one side of the field and then the next play to the other side of the field and then you're drawing, you're calling a QB draw. There's some type of disconnect between Sirianni Johnson and Hurts that's just not making a lot of sense at this point in the season. I think that's still a bit of a, a head scratcher. I don't think he's doing a terrible job. I just think he's doing a more so of a a questionable job at the moment. All
4: right, Bill, I think you threw this number out there before during the show. So I'm going to ask you to throw it out there for us again. I don't know what outlet you used the wagering numbers. We know the Eagles are now the favorite to win the Super Bowl. As of their win this week, they if they were even with Kansas City, they've now moved. Hey, Jalen Hurts is the favorite to win the MVP. He was just slightly behind Mahomes. They win the game, even though he threw for only 150 yards. He's now the favorite. Where is Nick Sirianni in the coach of the year? Odds as of right. Sirianni
5: now? is fifth at plus twelve hundred. You have Dan Campbell, number one at plus one twenty-five, Damico Ryan's number two at plus two seventy-five. Mike McDaniel in Miami at plus five fifty, and Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota plus nine hundred. Sirianni fifth in Coach of the Year odds right now. So Brian, the team with the best record in the National Football, the only nine
4: and one team in the National Football League. Their coach is fifth in potential voting for the motivated Sirianni. Good thing or bad thing
13: for the Eagles? I think great thing, um, honestly, and I feel like. It's been a weird thing. I mean, even 2017, when the Eagles, um, they had the best record and they uh, who won that year, I think it was Sean McVay, that won coach of the year over Doug Peterson, um, if I'm not mistaken. And then um, with Sirianni, the first year, they started off two and five, then they finished off as a playoff team. The second year, they're the best team in the league and he doesn't even get recognized. They give it to Brian Dayball, whose team is in the crapshoot this season. Um, I feel like a lot of, a lot of um, what Sirianni is doing is being overlooked because of the talent that he has on this roster. But people need to understand, like, with, with talent comes ego, right? Uh, huge egos on this team, right? To, to kind of um, to create a culture where these guys buy into you week in and week out, and you never hear any riffs. You hear no no um, nothing leaking from the, the locker rooms. There's no more Alshon Anonymous, right? Nothing like that's going on. And you see this team just, they speak how their coach speaks, their quarterback and their their, their coach speak very similar. Um, what Seriani's doing, I feel like it's is incredible how he's taking the reins at, at such a young age and um, not so much um, years under his belt as a head coach. And it should be more recognized. To me, he should be the favorite of coach of the year because your team is 9-1 and you face nothing but great teams all season long. You lost to a, a Jets team that their defense is pretty damn good. Offense, you know, doesn't do much but still their defense won the game that um that week um Sirianni to me should be the coach of year favorites it's funny we were just talking about that within um uh, PSN last week um I I don't know if it's a, it's a it's a Philly thing I don't know if the NFL does not like anything about Philly because Jalen Hurts didn't win MVP last season um and it's just it's a it's a weird thing for me it's a, it's a little mind-boggling at this point
5: so wh- while we're talking about Siriani, I actually posed this question on my show last week. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Is there a coach in the NFC that you would take over Nick Sirianni right now? And I actually went through all 16 teams, all 16 coaches, and I kind of narrowed it down to basically three other coaches that maybe could be in the argument, which would be Kyle Shanahan, Pete Carroll, and Sean McVay. In my opinion, none of these other coaches Reach Sirianni's level, maybe throw Dan Campbell in the mix at what he's doing in Detroit. But is there any coach in the NFC that you would take over Nick Sirianni right now?
13: No, um, yeah, definitely not. The reason being is because Nick Sirianni is um, he's aware, he has a lot of self awareness of who he is. He's a, he's aware of, of his presence in a room and how to how to approach certain um, certain situations. When um with all Philadelphia was calling for Jalen Hurts to be um, traded. Um, and to not be the guy going forward, Sirianni backed his guy no matter what, and he helped develop Jalen Hurts, and had had enough patience to do so to to develop into um, Jalen Hurts into an MVP quarterback. Um, and the guy, I mean, let's not overlook—you know—he was laughed off the podium in his first press conference. He was laughed at the Garden um, conversation when he brought that to the light. Um, and he still he still believes in who he is. He still carries himself the same way. And I feel like a guy like Kyle Shanahan. He'll be great, a great coach, right? But I think has a little bit on the the um, Bill Belichick train, where it's kind of like he thinks he's above the team and he can make anything happen for the team. Um, and this kind of testing to the quarterback situation over the years. And Sirianni is more like I feel like he's he knows that you know there's always room for growth, and he's very um hell bent on making sure that that room is um is reached somehow somewhere.
4: Brian, I want to share a conversation I had with an Eagle fan last night on on WIP. And I tried to talk him back in off the ledge and shoot. He dragged me out there on the ledge with him. I was starting to get nervous. <laughs> um, he was saying he thinks that A.J. Brown can be a problem between now and the end of the year. Because for the second time, they got him on camera doing a pretty good screaming job at his quarterback that he and uh, Jalen were going at it pretty good. And A.J. kept his helmet on, even though uh, Hertz hurts his his helmet off which is a little scary. You do the head bob, boom, you can break Jalen's nose. Uh, and I, he compared him to T.O. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't go there. This is not Terrell. Terrell Owens blew up the team. He had a problem with Donovan McNabb. He had a problem with the coaching staff. He had a problem with his teammates. He blew up on everybody. A.J. has just had an, let's say, uh, excited conversation on the sideline with his quarterback a couple times this year. Is there any concern in your mind? I tried to just dismiss it. Should I have, or is there an issue potentially there between AJ and
13: uh, Jalen Hurts? I don't think there's an issue. Um, Those guys are best friends. I feel like this is not a T.O. situation. They both want to win. They both expect greatness out of each other. I mean, if you guys play basketball pick a basketball back on the court with your friends, you're gonna get into you know, your friend's um, head when, um, when they're not making the right pass or when they're ball hogging, whatever case may be, right? It's just regular playing with your best friends. Um, I don't think there's an issue. I think it's just a matter of, of AJ expecting greatness out of Jalen, Jalen expecting greatness out of AJ. You're gonna see moments um, where, I, I forgot what game it was. I wanna say it was against the Commanders when AJ put the ball right in front of Emmanuel Forbes and they cost him a penalty. Jalen Hurts went up to AJ and he, he you know, he, he had the same kind of discussion, a little bit of heated discussion about it, right? Um, it's just, it's a part of the, the culture that they have where they're open with each other and they're, they're open to um, constructive criticism. And it's not going to be anything that I feel like is a problem in the future. Um, I think this is only going to grow into something better in the future with the, between these two and even Devontae Smith. Um, but it's AJ's not the, not the type to, to be um, concerned about at the moment.
5: I agree with you. You know, Sometimes you look at the receivers and when they're demanding the ball, and it, it could be an issue, but the relationship him and A.J. have, it seems to be so strong that you don't worry. I think sometimes that's overblown, too, when you talk about, oh, the quarterback-receiver have a good relationship. In this situation, yeah. they actually do. They really are yeah. best friends off the field even before he started playing here. So I just asked you, if there was a coach in the NFC you would take over Nick Sirianni, I think I know the answer to the next one, but is there a quarterback – in the NFC, that you would take over Jalen Hurts.
13: You're telling me you guys would not take Josh Dobbs over Jalen Hurts?
5: <laughs> oh, <laughs> no!
13: The legend um, of Josh Dobbs, you mean? Um, no. Jalen is Jalen's one of a kind. Um, he's uh he's a triple threat in the league that that needs um his type of um mentality and his type of place um play skills. Uh, Jalen is, is. I've I've been saying this since last um last year when he um in a Super Bowl matchup, but I feel like he's a top two quarterback um i feel like he brings uh he brings that presence that mahomes brings yes people love them little, look um, flashy passes that mahomes does have but mahomes has his flaws right i mean he flops more than any other player in the nfl in my opinion um but jalen is he's, he's aggressive um, by nature and he just he's he's patient he understands um what is he, still exactly like sirianni he understands that there's room for growth and he wants to fill it up, fill it up as much as possible um the arm talent is there the the, the mindset is there and you're, I feel like Philly's going to be in for uh, a lot of great years with, with Jalen at the helm.
4: Did you say flops solely because uh, Fletcher Cox pushed him the other day and he went down like he was shot? Is that what you're my referring
13: issue, to? My issue with Mahomes and it, this, this dates back to the Super Bowl is the, the calling for flags on almost every single play. Um, oh, I feel like okay. you know just 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 play, man. Like if, if the flag is not there, you can't demand it. Like we're not in that kind of league where. It's the NBA where you could just demand fouls and the referees just pull up um, and and call the and blow the whistle.
4: You know who that is in the NBA? That's Jason Tatum. Every single play <laughs> he thinks he's fouled. Every single play is looking at the ref like he's going to kill him afterwards. Yeah, uh, just play. That's all you have play, to do. Just play. I I do agree with you there. All right, uh, you impressed me earlier with the thinking ahead of thinking ahead of thinking ahead. So I'm going to ask you to think way the hell ahead. And it's an unfair question. And if you get it wrong, nobody's going to remember anyway. Um. 2024 opening game Philadelphia Eagles
13: their starting
4: center will be who
13: Jason Kelsey you think he's coming back I think he comes back from one more year I think they um, talked about it did you did you watch it on TV or were you out in Kansas City no I watched it on TV they were talking about it a lot
4: over and over and over again both Eggman and and uh Joe Buck okay, kept going because I know Jason's uh never done the whole Kelsey thing but uh, okay, the first time you mentioned it was cool. Don't know if he's going to be back. Then they went to it again. Then they went to it again. Then it went to it. Just call the game. Talk about not throwing flags. Drop the whole <laughs> "is Kelsey playing next year" thing. But now I'm bringing it up with you, and you're telling me he's playing again next year.
13: I feel like he plays against again next year. Um, I feel like I strongly feel like if the Eagles win a Super Bowl this year, that that um that lingering feeling where like, hey, I think we could win another one. Just like he came back this year saying, I think we could go to the dance again. I think that's going to be um, heavy on his heart. Um, he's at the top of his game. I feel like there's no other player in the league really playing at his caliber at, at his position. Um, whether he leaves now and leaves on top, or finishes, you know, with the Eagles having maybe one more Super Bowl trip afterwards, um, it doesn't matter to me. But I, I strongly believe he has one more year in him. It just—it's a weird like. So you see his play like he's not. I feel like he's not as banged up as he used as he was last year and the years past. Um, and he's playing at a high level, I feel like you just can't walk away at this at this rate. I hope you're right about that one. All right, uh, one last one for me.
4: What is the key ingredient on the Cameron Thanksgiving table? What's the one thing you could not do without tomorrow when the missus and or the mom or whoever doing it cooking, or maybe you, are you a chef? I don't even know. What's the key <laughs> thing on the table that you will be bogarting tomorrow? Come Thanksgiving
13: in the camera now, so so I shouldn't be. Um, but I'm Puerto Rican, so we're very big on pendi, um, which is um, who what where? Different... I'm, Qué pasa, um...
4: amigo? <laughs>
13: <laughs> so it's 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 pretty much um, shredded pork, um, but marinated a certain way. Um, that's one thing that as a child I can't I can't do with Thanksgiving without. Um, but I shouldn't be eating that at my age. But still, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you gotta spell this for me. What are we talking about here? So it's spelled P-E-R-N-I-L. In Spanish, it's pending, but in um, English, it will be Pernil.
4: Pernil. I'm going to have to get the wife working on this for a future Thanksgiving. (laughs) Not happening tomorrow, but uh, something that we will need to look into. Uh, Brian, great stuff. Do yourself a favor, your family. Tell your daughter. She's a TV star when you get done here. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on, and we'll get you up again uh, soon enough.
13: Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Our pleasure happy Thanksgiving, man.
4: Brian Cameron here with us on Birds 365. All right. Uh since you are a cuisine expert, uh, Mr. Colorillo, Pernil? Yay? Nay? Ever? What? You got never an idea as to well what he's talking about here? I've never even heard of this.
5: Never had it, man. But I'll I'm gonna look it up. I, I like I trying different cuisines. With uh, the way he described it in the short
4: little description, it sounded outstanding yeah. to me. And I did take eight years of Spanish, four in high school and four more in college. Uh, I've forgotten basically everything I ever learned. I can curse in Spanish, but I don't want to do that here on Part <laughs> 365. Um, I never heard of that dish. Uh, we're going to have to do some investigating on that. All you right. know what
5: I've been, Jody, what I've been hearing a lot and I have not tried it yet is Oyster stuffing. Have you had oyster stuffing before?
4: No, because I don't like oysters. But um, my, my partner on the radio side, Glenn Macnow, brought that up as a uh, Thanksgiving uh, possibility on his table. Yeah, my uh,
5: doctor guest last night's from New Orleans, and I asked him the same question. Hey, what's your favorite thing? He said two things. One is turkey gumbo the day after Thanksgiving, which sounded great to me. And the other was oyster stuffing. I've never had it before. I think I'm going to try it. We go different. Mushroom stuffing. My wife got a,
4: a recipe from her mother's next-door neighbor who gave her all the ingredients and how to make it, it is. It is the best thing on my Thanksgiving Day plate. Every single year, it's unbelievable. You don't need gravy. It is so moist. It is phenomenal. Mushrooms. No oysters. I'll get stay hungry, away from you Yeah, hungry. I know. We're, we're talking ourselves into a meal here at 9.48 in the morning. I got another show to do after this. I got an hour still uh, after this. I got to eat. Stinks. All right. Well, uh, tell Xander to play a commercial or two. You can get a snack. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, he's Bill Calamulo. I'm Johnny McDonald. You got the uh, Birds 365 show coming back to put a bow on the show, so stay right there.
1: Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit.
6: At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. They're carving up and good play calling along the way. First and goal at the six. On the field of life,
4: All right, coming down the stretch here on a Birds 365 episode with Big Color Rule in for John McMullen. We have heard that John McMullen is already on his way back, flight got canceled last night, early leaving this morning. He's sitting in the mid-seat in coach next to a guy with a white beard. It's not Jody McDonald, uh, but he's kind of scrunched in right now, so hopefully he's getting some sleep. Not doubtful. Uh, But McMullen's supposed to be back tomorrow. But appreciate the job Bill's done filling in for him today. All right. Interesting stuff that Brian said. He thinks that they'll be up for the Bills, but the potential letdown. Because you laid it out pretty well, uh, the emotional game, despite the fact that no one other than me wants to admit it was a big rivalry game. Uh, And then afterward, you got the 49ers coming up. This could be a look ahead game. This could be a sandwich game. Brian said, no, no, no. The sandwich game is the week after that they're up for the Bills. They need them, but they want to beat the Bills. And then you got the Cowboys on the back end so they could look past the 49ers. I wasn't following his line of logic on that one, but uh, that's the way he looked at it. Bills coming in on Sunday. Last week, their offense kicked back into gear against a good Jet defense. Now, you know, I'm a Jet fan. I have a Jet theory. I think their defense just gave up last week. That, that just having to watch Zach Wilson so poorly play quarterback in the national football League that they were just like, screw it. We're not going to. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing this? And they gave up last week because they don't have to tell Eagle fans that the Jet defense can be one of the best in the NFL this year. Um, how much fear should Eagle fans have with a Buffalo Bills team coming in, who's only got a, a six and four record? Their record isn't great, but you want to talk about plus minus. When they win, they pour it on. They can—they certainly have the capability of scoring a lot of points. What's your nervous factor three days out before Bills and Eagles,
7: Bill?
5: Well, when I mentioned the the short week, the other concern is not only coming off of the emotional win on a Monday night. You have Thanksgiving on Thursday, too. These guys have families. These guys are going to celebrate Thanksgiving. Yeah, but Thanksgiving. so do the Bills. That, that they do, mean, that, but, that that they don't, nothing. but they don't have the short week on top of it, is what I mean, mm-hmm. Jody. So you have oh, the definitely. short week and Thanksgiving. But what we've seen with this Eagles team and Nick Sirianni, nothing seems to bother them. They have a good culture, so I'm not as concerned as I would be in other years with a short week, but... This Jet, this not Jets, these Buffalo Bills, I went back and looked. What's crazy, you talk about pouring it on when they win. In their six wins, they have a turnover differential of plus nine. They've only turned it over five times, and they've taken it away 14. In their five losses, they've turned it over 14 and only taken it away five. The complete opposite. So We talk about it every week that the turnovers are going to be important. They're really going to be important this week in trying to get Josh Allen to continue to be that turnover machine, but outside of those turnovers, Jody, you look at this Bills offense. They're top 10 in almost every single category. The problem has been they're 26th in turnovers, so you really got to turn over Josh Allen because they do put up points. They do put up a lot of yards. It's going to be a good game. I'm not looking past Buffalo at all, but you can't ever bet against this Eagles team, man. All they do is win, but this is not going to be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. And you just gave the numbers on how many turnovers the
4: Bills defense has gotten. They've gotten a ton this year. Adding to that, the last three weeks, Rasul Douglas. Three, we love tur- three turnovers in the last three weeks. I'm just saying that's a pretty good percent. One turnover per week is not a bad defensive uh, stat line to have. And we'll see if Rasul comes in and gets another one against Eagles. Oh, if he does, yeah, Eagle fans, you you don't want to listen on Monday. You're sorry, It's not my job to tell people not to listen. But I will be pointing out that Rasul Douglas got another turnover again this weekend. If it happens. Hopefully not the case. Hopefully no turnovers for the Eagles. Eagles finally won the plus minus this past week. Uh, they had not been winning it yet. They continue to win games. Be careful if you do that again this uh, week against the Bills. They might be good enough to make you pay a price. All right, Billy C., thank you very much for jumping in. The Power Hour is next. You're going to get a cup of coffee. You're going to take a leak. What are you going to do during the two minutes before you come back and have your show?
5: Yeah, got to get a little water, man. Got to get a little water. I got to talk for an hour now. But, yeah, stay tuned. We got Kayla Santiago joining the show. She does every Wednesday. Does a real good job with the Eagles. And a little Sixers talk today as well.
4: Very nice. Uh, Oh, by the way, Joel Embiid, defensive liability. Great on offense. MVP-like again. Teams are taking advantage of him on defense, but that's just one man's opinion on the Sixers. I'll get out of here. You will get Colin Willow's opinion all by his launch with Kayla for the next hour. Hopefully, Johnny Mac back tomorrow. He's in the air. We know he's in the air. We just need to land the plane successfully, and then you get Mac and Mac tomorrow. Uh, Have a great day, everybody. We'll be back in 2-2. and
2: You've been listening to Birds
6: 365,
2: the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're